Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... And Mayu, what's going on, everyone? Austin, by the time you're homeless, eh? <laughs> so, yeah, so we're filming this while I'm in my car right now because we're doing this last minute as we <laughs> use Thursday and this episode hopefully comes out on Friday. But yeah, doing it from the car since I'm charging it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's been going on, man? Yeah, so on my end of things, I picked up a fix and flip not too long ago. I think it was last week, actually. So it was sent out by a wholesaler that specializes in Windsor and Chatham. It's on the east side of Windsor. Picked it up for $237,000. Going to be putting in, it looks like about 40000 of work after HST and all of that. And it's like a decent amount of cosmetic, right? So like we're redoing the kitchen, basement, main floor, everything. But it is highly cosmetic in nature, siding. And then we're hoping for an ARV of about 350. I don't know. There's a recent sale at 480, but I think it's like an outlier. So you bought it at 250 and then you're planning to put in 40 grand? 237,500. Okay. Okay. And then 40 or 50 grand into it. And 40 grand. We already got the firm quote for everything. There wouldn't be any overages. It's like very, it's as basic as a renovation can get. It's not, nothing's been torn down. These houses were built over the past 40 years. So usually you're not getting into too many surprises. Why not keep it? It's single family home. It just... You're done with that shit, eh? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Too much tenant risk with a single family home. So we bought it in cash. We, I mean, my parents and I, I find this is a good time to like kind of make my parents money too. So I always let them know, I was like, hey, look, I'm going to do this thing myself. But if you want to come in 50-50 with me, we can definitely do that. So we're both putting in our money. My dad's recently retired. So it's like, you know, you keep the money within the family. Yeah, yeah. Someone told me, like, it's a terrible thing to say, but at the end of the day, it gets inherited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. I want him to spend it, you know, but, like, I'd rather do it within family versus JV partners if, like, because a lot of these flips are not a lot of money that we're buying, right? Like, we're yeah, trying to buy yeah. subred, put in sub 100K reno, so fund those in cash, keep every single lender fee to myself, every dollar of interest I would have spent to myself and go from there. But yeah, that's kind of what I've been uh, anticipating. So the closing is next week on, I believe it was Thursday. So it's a two week closing, which I love because if you're buying in cash, you want that close as soon as possible. The renovation timeline is going to be two weeks or two and a half weeks maximum. And then we're going to list it. So like from closing to listing, it's probably going to take three weeks and then we'll see what we can do. Hopefully we profit about 40, 50,000 and then I'm a happy camper. Not bad. Not bad. Moderate level of risk. Not bad at that either. Quick turnaround. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, it's not like a huge ARV, right? Like worse comes yeah. to worse. Like let's say that for whatever reason, I can't get rid of it. I could still finance it and rent it out and probably be somewhere on the neutral level of cash flow or maybe just slightly negative which obviously you don't want to do, but it's an exit strategy. Yeah. No, man, that's good. How about on your end, the Minden property? I know. Yeah. We're thinking about selling that one. Ultimately, it's, I really don't want to build out an Airbnb, right? So we'll see what happens with that. It's still about a month and a half away from completion. Probably got to get a realtor in there in the next couple of weeks. See how that looks. But I was just talking to one of my team just about like why I would sell it. And like, I don't know, man, I really don't want to build an Airbnb business out. I think if you can take about 100, 200K in profit today and just go and throw that into a million dollar multi. Like, even if you just let that money sit there, it's just so much easier and so much less, uh, so much more passive, right? I think, yeah, I don't know, just focus on one thing and just build up the rentals right now is kind of the game plan here. But come across a couple fourplexes that I've been really lazy, man, so bad. I've been so lazy to, to properly negotiate. And I think there's deals out there in the market, but Half of the time, it's okay. Now I got to do a two or three hour drive to go and negotiate cash for keys, maybe four hour drive. I don't really know if I'm going to actually go through with the property purchase. I'm like, ah, fuck it. I don't really want to even bother. <laughs> so that's what's currently going on with me, man. Not the best thing to say, but we'll see. It's tough. It's tough to have that motivation to go down, negotiate, spend a day or two there, and then come yeah. out with no deal. Right. Yeah. 
like I have those times as well. I just kind of force myself to go ahead and do it. But it is like a mental sort of barrier that even myself, I try to get around. So that Minden property, have you spoken to a realtor seeing what you might be able to get for it? Uh, no, nope. <laughs> I, I, so, so here's the thing. I put out my story, but yeah. if it's an off market sale, I want it to be super easy. Like I, I want to do no work. Right. Yeah. And so if I get someone, like I'm looking at the people that have messaged me and like, a couple of them might be like easy sales, right? I'm willing to take a haircut on the sale price just to put in no work. Cause I think we, we're going to make heavy margin on this for, I think, right. Just based on the comps and stuff like that, that I see. And the partner is good with a quick, easy sale as well, uh, rather than then throwing it on the market, letting it sit, waiting a month or two months in today's world, at least it's still a cottage, right. Which is like less liquid and stuff like that. Rather than going down that avenue, like I obviously have seen comps and I have an idea what the property is worth. I know I could probably get more in the market. Like I'm thinking in the mid to high sevens. And I think if I were to take it to the market, like maybe we're talking 800, like, but like if you put it on the market at 800, I also don't know how long it'll sit there. Right. So yeah, I'm more than happy to just offer someone seller financing on a good chunk of it and, and just take the profits on the rest and just call it a day. Are you going to sell it? As no, no, no. I'm not going to finish it fully and then sell it as is. Is it private money or do you guys funding on cash? There's a very small private on it. Okay, so it's a majority cash then. This is 300K private. Do you think that's small? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's small, but... <laughs> thinking like if you're going to provide a VTB, it would have to be second in charge. I don't yeah, think yeah. anyone would be a first in charge VTB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even see a point in a first in charge VTB. Like, I just... I yeah. So much money tied in. Um, it'd be second in charge. And I don't know, there's obviously other ways to do it, right? Like you go credit on closing. You can like do a bunch of different shit, but yeah. it's up to whoever. So I also don't want to do that kind of stuff with someone that doesn't know what they're doing. Right. Because then I'm just like potentially opening myself up for no reason. So yeah, we'll see what comes out of it, man. More more likely than not, end of February, first week of March, you'll probably call on a realtor and just see what they can do. Yeah, it's always worthwhile to check up and yeah, I get the feedback. So that being said, enough about that. Today's guest is a really, really impressive guest. It's someone that myself and Austin have grown up consuming his content. He's kind of one of the OGs in the real estate investing space for sure. It's Matt Pichet. So Matt began investing in the real estate space at the age of 22. He's a multimillionaire by the age of 30. His business has grown significantly. He's bought and sold over 100 properties using none of his own money. He's raised over $50 million for all these deals, all from social media. Huge presence on YouTube. So we talk about building up the YouTube career, what he's doing now, how he got started for sure, talking about single family to duplex conversions. Really big in the Kitchen of Waterloo space. But now he's actually not really investing in the US. So we talked a lot about his long-term real estate investing strategy how he structured his business now, because he's got a bunch of flips, marketing, et cetera, various other businesses going on, and how he's also financing deals in the US. So for anyone else that's grown up listening to Matt Pichet, or is just really impressed by what he's been able to do, make sure you guys check out this episode. Definitely a great episode. And as always, guys, make sure you drop a comment, share the podcast with a friend, really helps us grow it. And hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, and we should have had this guest earlier on, but we got <laughs> to keep a couple of bangers in the back pocket for you guys. We have Mr. Matt Pichet, aka The Fruitful Investor. How's it going, Matt? Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Matt. It's been a long time in the works, I think, to schedule you in here. I know you're a busy guy, but for I feel like most people that listen to this podcast should know who you are. But for anyone that doesn't, <laughs> why don't you just give them a quick rundown on yourself, how you got started in real estate, and you know, with experienced guests like yourselves, we almost just jumping into what you're up to today. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so how I got started when I was 18 years old, pretty much right after high school, I got into construction as a carpenter, kind of got super obsessed with HGTV and flipped that house specifically. I had no idea I was going to do real estate investing or like how I was going to do it. I just knew I loved flipping houses. I loved investing in some manner. Just kept deep diving, getting obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. And then I bought my first rental property at age 22. That's when I got just like right into real estate. And then the more construction jobs I started to do, at that point, because I was renovating properties only for real estate investors in my area of Kitchener-Waterloo. The more I renovated for them, investors were saying, Matt, man, I wish you were a realtor. If you were a realtor, you could help me so much for buying these properties and tell me how much the renovations are going to be, et cetera, et cetera. You should be a realtor. I put two and two together and said, like, well, I don't want to be a carpenter for the rest of my life. That's for sure. So I became a realtor specializing only with investors at age 22. Kept growing the business from there. And then we just kept buying a bunch of our properties bringing partners in, buying a ton of rental properties, scaled from there. And now full-time real estate investor, full-time realtor, full-time online guy. I don't know. I do it all. <laughs> so that's basically where I'm at now. Yeah. I think Matt skipped out on the part that he's got a huge <laughs> YouTube presence. He's definitely been inspirational for myself and Austin as we were starting off our journeys and kind of 
definitely one of the early adopters that kind of publicly talked about real estate investing and the potential, especially within the Canadian market. I don't know too yeah. many other people that did it, right? So that's great, Matt. So you started off carpentry. You started investing at that point. You became a realtor. And then I know you kind of aggressively scaled through, I think, the joint venture model quite aggressively yeah. as well, right? So talk to me a little bit about those kind of days, how you went about scaling mm-hmm. up, what you think, like, especially like our podcast, a lot of like new intermediate kind of investors, right? So yeah, things that you think that they could kind of take away from the, the early stages. Of- yeah. So I just started doing uh, like online tip videos, YouTube videos for the purpose of gaining realtor clients. So I was teaching about Kitchener Waterloo, teaching about investing, being the authority and being like the go-to realtor for this area, which worked for sure. I got a ton of clients that way. But what ended up happening is, and I had no idea, but people were saying, man, I'm watching your videos. You know everything about Kitchener. Like, you know, all these strategies. Why don't I just invest with you? I'll give you my money and we can do it together. And I was like, okay. So I, I got one partner, two partners, three partners. And then I realized like, oh my God, man, this social media thing, specifically this YouTube game, is the only way to go to scale a business properly. So then I tripled down and just made more videos, now more so geared for the purpose of joint venture attraction. And that's kind of, uh, I feel I kind of started it kind of, or like led the way for growing a YouTube channel for the purpose of getting business off of YouTube. I know there's a lot of YouTubers that do YouTube for YouTube and all that money, which is super cool. And we're starting to get into that now and a little more focus on that. But my whole objective was getting business off of YouTube, doing real deals and using YouTube to kind of, you know, grow my business that way. So that's kind of how it all started. Mm -hmm. I remember that actually for me, it was very similar because I took your course raising capital. Nice. That's how (laughs) I got that's how I got put on the entire social media game. And I was also like putting out Instagram. YouTube, not as much YouTube. I did a couple of YouTubes, but it is very time consuming. Yes. I, don't know, I guess you've hired it out. Or you got the right yeah. editors, so on and so forth. But it did actually work. It's not like an immediate sort of, yes. like, oh, I'm going to start posting videos and a month or two, I'm going to get like a bunch of JV partners. It's like consistently adding value for like six months, seven months, eight months yeah. before that payoff. Now I have a question for you. So early on in your journey, I know that you specialized a lot in single family homes right around the KWC area. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of your bread and butter, right? Like given obviously where the market has headed and like, it's harder to make those properties cash flow. How has your strategy pivoted over mm-hmm. the course of your journey? Yeah. So about like 2017, 2018, when all of this market really started to kind of go up, the single family model, which was my main bread and butter, you're right. That's how I made the majority of my net worth. But around 2017, 2018, they weren't cash flowing anymore. They were like break even, which is no good. So at that time, we switched to duplex conversions. And again, you know, we were kind of, I don't know, leading the way, but we were the kind of first ones, I think, to publicly do duplex conversions as a main strategy. So we kind of developed that, specialized in that strategy, funny enough, up until these rate hikes. Now that strategy is not working anymore too well. The cash flow, same thing. So the cash flow is not happening as much. Now it's a great time to get back into that again. It's just about, like what you said, pivoting at the right times. It's not that we stop real estate investing. Like right now, everybody's freaking out about the world, interest rate raising. Oh my God, real estate is over. No, it's just now we need to pivot and do things slightly different. We don't stop investing in real estate. We just change the way we do it slightly for the times. Mm. So I guess when the duplex conversion strategy, because I think around like 2021, it started to make a little bit less sense, right? Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you sold off a good chunk of your portfolio. You kind of like tied that market and you kind of sold it off, right? So what was the logic there? What was the thought process there? I'm more so curious, like we sold off a couple like non-performing assets, right? Yeah. yeah. Myself and Austin, a couple others, like, but that requires a shit ton of balls, right? Because like you're, you're kind of just like, <laughs> you're calling the yeah. peak of the market, you're selling out, right? Yeah. What was the thought process leading up to that? Because I think there's a lot that people could get away from just by knowing like when to sell, like what kind of metrics did you look at? What really kind of convinced you to sell a good chunk of your portfolio at that time? Yeah, like part of it was luck, part of it was intuition, but we had about 50 properties between all the partners. And we sold all of them, all of them. Oh, shit. From August 2021. And we sold the last three, funny enough, February 2022, right before everything. So I'm not going to sit here with my crystal ball and be like, oh, I I knew it was going to happen. I had a feeling it was going to happen. I had a feeling things were going to change. But it was purely based on, man, the market is like at an all-time high. It keeps going higher and higher and higher. But you know what? We've made so much money in the past two years, three years only of all these properties. Hey, guys. Why don't we start selling these properties off now? We'll cash out. We'll see what the world does. But like I said, funny enough, we sold our last property in February 2022. And that's when everything kind of went down. It was like, okay, yeah. So it's almost like I do this for a living full time. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
So was there any particular metrics that you took a look at? Obviously, being a realtor boots on the ground, you saw the craze that was going on in the market. Yeah. But the market has arguably been crazy for a while and it keeps on getting crazier and crazier. And just when you think it slows down, like in 2021 fall, it's like, okay, like it's still doing decent, but not as crazy. It just huge ramp up January 2022. Like, were there any particular signals from a metric point of view or was it sort of a gut feeling through your experience as a realtor? Majority of a gut feeling. I'm not a data guy like you are. Like you're intense about data and graphs. I love that stuff too. I love narrowing down that stuff. But the way I've done business or go through my life is just more so gut feeling. I have a, I don't know, a good intuition, a good feeling about things, and I follow the data, of course. Like I'm obsessed with that stuff too. But for me, it was more so of like something's going to change soon. You know what? Things are really good right now. We made a ton of money. Let's just cash out. Like don't be greedy. You know, we made a ton of money. Let's just grab it and go. We'll put it down, we'll take the money, and then we'll see what happens later, right? So that's kind of where my feeling came from. And then when interest rates started going and all this stuff, I was like, oh yeah, I'm a genius. But it was all gut feeling mostly. You know what? Like, that's funny that you said, like, don't be greedy, take the money off of the table. Because the reality is when we all got started in investing, when we threw in our appreciation numbers, like two to 3% is what would forecast in our numbers. All of a sudden you're seeing 20%. And the gains that you would have been getting had you paid the property down on your initial purchase price is pretty much the same gains you're seeing via the yeah. appreciation you got in the property. Exactly. That's a really important point you made there. But it's it's tough, right? There's the emotional aspect where it's, oh, it could keep on going higher and higher. And I even looking at the data, sometimes I still battle myself. It's like, maybe I should sell this. But like at the yeah, same yeah, time, yeah. I kind of want to hold it, right? And just mm. take my chances. Yeah. Anyway, so like speaking about pivoting from opportunities when things don't make sense, there's a lot of fear going on in the market. I'm seeing that you're jumping back in. Is there yeah. any particular strategy that you're doing when jumping back in? Like, are you still doing KWC? Have you pivoted? And like, what's again, like, what was that kind of gut feeling that you had that made you want to go back into the market? Yeah. So for me, two things. So the long-term strategy, we're doing uh, duplex conversions again. We're starting to look at them, starting to make sense. And for me, when I sold everything off in February, 2022, I told myself I'm never investing in Canada again. For long-term real estate, I'm done. Why was that? The Ontario rules, like the landlord tenant board, the taxes. I'll get to the second point soon of going down to the US, but I was like, I'm done. Long-term real estate. Flipping in Canada, love it. So obviously we're still flipping. We've slowed down tremendously for flipping between obviously like April to now. But for flipping now, I'm seeing the indicators to get back in again. So I don't have to give too much personal step away. That's how I roll. So in January, you know, the fruitful team, we're going hard again for the flipping and gathering more deals. Obviously, we have an inside house wholesale company for ourselves. So, you know, we're not really wholesalers, but we wholesale for ourselves. So we're launching that whole business model again, full throttle starting January 1st, because I'm seeing the indicators that I'm seeing, which is a Fed slowdown or Fed pivot, if you will, that is coming for sure. So I'm betting with my money that they're going to do that. Also, I kind of feel, again, it's all gut feeling stuff, but I feel that millennials specifically, they're the biggest buying generation ever that we've ever seen in a long time. The, the population of us, of our age group is insane. And they want to own homes. They've been told by our parents, got to own a home, got to have the yard with the white picket fence, all this stuff. So it's kind of bred in the millennial mindset to own a home. We just had COVID. I don't know if I could say that word for YouTube algorithm, but we just had the C word <laughs> and everybody was locked up in their house for two years, blah, blah, blah. Now the world's pretty much finally open. Everybody's ready to take a breath, go, I can finally do what I want. And the government says, no, you can't. We're going into a recession. Slow down. I think people, millennials specifically, are saying, screw that. I've been in my basement for two and a half years. I'm done waiting. I'm not waiting. I'm buying this home, period. And the millennial group, you know, we're ages 30, 32, 33, 35. Some want to start a family. Time is running out for some biological reasons. People want to get the home and have kids and stuff like that. So there's a lot of more so ego reasons. So I know the financial stuff, interest rates going up, mortgage payments going up, obviously, yeah. But there's a lot of ego reasons behind buying a family home. You want to look cool in front of your friends and family. You want to own the home. You want the nice car. You want to settle down and have kids, et cetera. So there's a lot of reasons why people will still buy homes no matter what. So those are my gut feelings on what's happening. And we're already seeing that in the data. Thankfully, my gut feeling is being backed up by data, which I just posted a video, I don't know, like two weeks ago about what's going on in Kitchener, about home prices actually starting to tick back up again. Days on market going down again. It's crazy. How's this selling faster? Which is no surprise. It's the fall market. That's going to drop soon, right? It always happens. But the fact that it's doing that in an increasing mortgage environment is telling me, man, people don't care too much. There's obviously a point where the government raises rates too high. It's not going to work for nobody. But I highly doubt that's going to happen. 
We've already had the Fed in the U.S. slightly hint that the hold or the pivot is coming soonish. The Bank of Canada doesn't like to be like the U.S. They're acting tough. There's no hints of any kind with the Bank of Canada, but the Bank of Canada has to follow what the U.S. does. And the U.S. already said we're almost at neutral. You know, there's a pivot coming, but we're still going to be hard on inflation and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to pivot soon enough. So those are the gut feelings, the indicators that I'm seeing. And also, if we're buying a flip and I get a flip today, I get a deal, right? It closes two months from now. I'm going to do a slow renovation on purpose, probably about four or five months. So even if I buy a house today, we're filming this video, I don't know, October 25th, I'm not going to be selling that house until May, June, July of next year. Right. Inflation, the economy, and the whole world is going to be in a much different place July of next year. So that's kind of what I'm banking on. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. It, it seems like you're definitely more of a gut guy, which I think is good, right? I think a lot of the times, like everyone looks at data, but the problem with data is data is a lagged indicator, right? Lagged, like, yeah. When, yeah. When exactly. everyone talking yeah. about inflation, waiting for like CPI numbers to come on, I'm like, man, just look around. Well, you one know, thing on that, yeah. one thing on that I'll pipe in is that the inflation numbers just came out from the Fed for September. It had in the CPI report that real estate was still going up. I think it was 0.4%. Real estate is not going up 0.4% in September in the US. So it is lagged. All that CPI data is lagged. Mm-hmm. If you look at real-time data, real estate is going down. Food is going down. Copper, gold, silver, everything's going down. Shipping is going down. So we know where inflation is going. CPI data is lagged by like six months. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. We were talking about like even like Airbnb data and like cottages and stuff like that. It's all discretionary income. So like Airbnb bookings are down and like daily rates will follow, right? But like really yeah. that's boots on the ground information that you yeah. know just from like talking to other people like yeah, hey, like how's your wallet doing, right? And like those kind of conversations. So I actually think that's great. And you're obviously boots on the ground a lot, which definitely helps you out as well, right? So the flipping makes sense. It's still a little bit of like a high risk strategy as well. Yeah. But jumping back into the flipping game now, right? I guess you kind of slowed that down a little bit and flipping, wholesaling, off-market lead sourcing, all that kind of stuff. How do you go yeah. about building your team for the volume that you guys used to do, right? Like what does that mm-hmm. team kind of look like? And not to like dig too deep either, right? Like kind of yeah. just how did you structure your business? Yeah. So it's pretty much all the same. I mean, we all do kind of the same thing. The way we market, the way we do business is pretty much the same across all flippers and stuff like that. But the way I do it is I have an acquisition manager. So he takes all the phone calls. He does all the meetings with the sellers. I don't know anything, right? So all the calls come in, he does them. I only hear about deals when he's buying a house and he calls me up and says, Matt, we just bought a house. And I say, cool. That's all I know. I don't know anything. That's a really smart way to structure your business because especially that position, because it's commission-based. So it's not like I'm paying him hours worked or like that. It's structured commissions. So I don't really care how much he works or how little he works. It's all based on how much deals he's bringing in. So that business side is really all to him, which is great. I'm focused on what I do, which is videos, growing awareness, bringing JV partners and money into the business. That's all I do. That's the only job I do Sorry, right you're, now. You're paying for the marketing cost though for the... Yes. Uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I pay for all the marketing, all the flyers, all the Facebook ads, all the, all the stuff we all do. It's all the same stuff. We're always looking for golden nuggets, but it's, it's all the same stuff. It's just flyers and online marketing. That's it. And dumping so much money. That, that, that's why I tell everybody. The flip game or the wholesale game is just who can spend the most outrageous amount of money and you're going to get deals. So that's really, that's how it works, unfortunately. So we're spending a ton of money. Fortunately, you know, real estate investors like us who have built the business, we're the ones who can fork out 10, 15, $20,000 a month on marketing. Most investors can't do that. So that's why the big dogs, big sharks taking most of the deals because we're just spending the most. So we spend the money. All the deals go to my acquisition manager. He locks them all up. Then we have a project manager. So again, when we have flips going on, at this point, I never go see them anymore. So we close the deal. I might go to do a before video, but not really even anymore. I'll send my social media guy to do the before videos. Project manager does all the trades, schedules, everything, orders all the material, takes care of the whole renovation. At the end of the renovation, she goes, hey, the job is done. Here's a little video of the house. Cool. Perfect. And then I send my social media manager back. He does the after videos, all the after pictures for the listing. I list it because I'm a realtor. So that's really the only job I do during the flip process is put it on the MLS. Uh, I do that. Those three positions are kind of the main thing is the main owner, the market, spending the money, the acquisition manager, which is commission-based, and the project manager who's kind of salary or hourly-based, however you want to do that. That's kind of the flip business in a nutshell right there. I guess the big part of it is finding the right people and not being too stingy yes. on your... Uh... If you want the right people, you got to pay them well too, right? Otherwise, they'll just end up leaving and working for someone else. Yeah. So there's value in that, like having the capital to be able to find these people, to retain them on the team, pay them a decent enough salary to stay on board. 
but that's super impressive. So obviously it means less margins for you, but it also means autopilot. You get all of your time back because margins isn't everything at the end of the day at at your level. It's like that time freedom and still getting paid somewhat passively. Okay. So on the other side of things, like what else do you have going on? You have to film your YouTube content. Are you still the one putting together the ideas, writing down the script? Obviously you're the one that's there presently to be filming it, but what's that process involved like? And I don't know what else businesses do you have going on? Because yeah. I think you have a lot of things always on the go. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a social media manager. Uh, he does all the videos, all the scripting, like you said. So he comes up with the video ideas, all the keywords. He's doing all the research on what video is going to do well and stuff like that. So he's kind of gives me the idea and the, a rough script of the video. I kind of tweak it to my words and then I shoot the video. So that's kind of my role. And again, and then he edits it, posts it, all that. I don't do any of that. Yeah, that side of the business. So that's kind of my main job is just, doing podcasts like this or doing videos and selling, selling the fruitful business, I guess. (laughs) So at what point did you decide to jump into the US and talk a little bit about that? Because I guess you sold off your last property February. You're probably sitting on a boatload of cash and just assuming, right? Yeah. And so you're looking into the US. How did you jump into that market? Because that's a completely different like kind of worms, right? Financing struggles and even sourcing deals. And I don't know. I don't know anything about like Cleveland, Ohio, and like what yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, battery and stuff like that. So how'd you go about building that out? Yeah. So we're now moving to the US as well. So that's the second part of our business model now. Thanks for mentioning that. So we do, uh, we're focusing on Airbnbs in Florida, specifically Southwest Florida, specifically Cape Coral, Naples area. So the same strategy I did for how I was successful in Canada, being a specialist in Kitchener Waterloo. That's all I do. Don't talk to me about Guelph, Hamilton, Toronto. I'm only doing Kitchener Waterloo. I'm doing that same exact thing down there now for Naples and specifically Cape Coral. Why we chose the West side. So just this past winter, we spent the whole winter away in Florida because one, we hate winter, absolutely hate it. Two, it was learning about the area because we knew we want to go down with our business. So we spent the whole winter traveling all of Florida. We went to the East side, spent uh, some one month in Miami, one month in the Florida Keys, and then one month on the West side, uh, Naples, Cape Coral area. We decided to land on the west side because it's more family friendly. It's quiet, very, very quiet, like hardly any traffic. Whereas the east side, like Miami, is fun, but it's terrible for families. <laughs> it's just loud, so much noise, so much crying, spray paint everywhere. Like I said, Miami is a fun time. It's cool to go for a weekend. Don't want to live there. Don't really want to invest there for my business model. So we bought our winter home on the west side in Naples. So we go down for the winters now there. It's also an Airbnb for the rest of the year. And then we're building with our partners to buy more straight Airbnbs in that area going forward. So that's our business model. Like I said, the same thing I did here, I'm doing there. I found the team. I got the realtors, property managers, contract. I got them all set up already. All the accountants for the the cross-border stuff. We got it all figured out. The whole system's done. We're just waiting for partners to buy more and do what we do, which is renovate properties better than everybody else and provide quality housing. So we're just doing the same thing all over again down there. So I'm curious, like from like a financing perspective for your partners, assuming they're kind of like just average individuals, probably work like two jobs or whatever, right? like husband and wife or whatever, right? Yeah. What does financing look for them? Are you guys going like private? Are you using like Canadian banks? Like what's that model? Yeah. Yeah. So we use for now, what I'm most likely going to do for this whole time is use American mortgage brokers and lenders only because financing in the US is so easy. It's easier than Canada, even when you're a non-resident. It's actually a joke, honestly, because here in Canada, we're very tight, we're very stringent. You know what I mean? We have a lot of uh, stress tests and all this stuff. They got none of that down there. So you know, maybe that's why 2008 happened so hard down there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's so easy. For example, to get a mortgage down there as a non-resident, this is how it goes right here. 30% down, show me where the money came from, just so I know it's not like drug money. And will the property rent for more than what this mortgage payment is going to be? That's it. They don't care about what you did in Canada. They don't care about income, T4s, T4As, don't need none of it. 30% down, show me where the money came from. Will it rent for more? If you can provide those three things, done deal. You can buy a house in the US. That's it. Wow. It's crazy. Jesus. <laughs> Theoretically, you can scale unlimited on the residential yep. side as long as you yep. have the interesting. Wow. That's why America's. <laughs> that's why I love America because it's, I think, you know, it has its problems for sure. But business-wise, America is true capitalism. It's, there's so much money because Canada's so small, obviously, right? America's ginormous. There's yeah. so much money, so many deals. And even now, you can barely get deals off of the MLS. We're starting to see it now, but like before in the whole Corona thing, you could never get deals off MLS. They all have to be private, just like in Canada. 
in the US, you know, we bought our house in Naples, prime. I bought that in March, 2022, prime heat of the market. I had no competition on that house. I got a 30 day financing condition. Never heard of this 30 day. And that's at the <laughs> top of the market. Now yeah. it's just like shooting fish in a barrel down there. There's deals everywhere. Yeah. It's such a bigger market. It's just a new world. So for us capitalists, for us real estate investors, it's just like, we're just like, oh, like it's just so much stuff to do down there. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're a Canadian, you had a ton of equity gains. So it makes yeah, sense to take yes. them off the table and diversify yeah. globally as well in another country. And now exactly. digging down into the, the US model, in terms of market selections, you mentioned a couple of interesting things there, like finding somewhere that's family oriented, a little bit less noisy. Is that in general kind of what you look for in any sort of area? If you were to replicate yeah. this thing in another country, like, is there like a certain checklist for you that's like, okay, I like this particular area or neighborhood. And can we kind of get a better idea of what that checklist looks like? Yeah. I mean, you just kind of nailed it. So like, I'm very boring. I do the same things over and over again. I don't like to mix things up. So I like the family aspect, the family tenant, the family customer. That's who I want. I don't know. I've just always jived with that ideal customer. So that's who I want. Three bedroom, one bathhouse, two bathhouse, quiet neighborhood, but close to maybe like a big city, you know, that has all the amenities, food, rec centers, grocery stores, baseball fields, whatever, right? So I'm looking for that. So the outskirts of those areas, that city still has good population growth, job growth, GDP growth, you know, all those fundamental economic fundamentals. We're looking for those things that outpace the state or provincial average. So I'm just looking for those cities. It's just boring, boring, boring. Yeah, it's boring. <laughs> you find like these sort of like quieter neighborhoods, they favor the Airbnb model, given that you're, before you were very focused on long-term tenants, right? Stable income. But now you're focused more on the, correct me if I'm wrong, is it short or medium term? Like, is it or long? Yeah, we're looking for short term, really. So like okay. a, a week, a month would be cool. But like, we're looking for that weekly rental kind of thing. So yeah, a shorter term rental we're looking for. And the reason why we chose Florida and, or Southwest Florida, even more specific, is just because it's a vacation hub, but not just seasonal, right? Like even I thought Florida, oh, it's only good during the winter months, obviously, right? But in the summer or spring, summer, fall months, the US citizens like to go down to Florida for their summer vacations, which I had no idea about until I went down there and spoke to realtors. And they're like, no, man, like Florida, South Florida is insane all year long. Obviously in the winter, it's like insane, insane. But even in the summer months, you get fully booked up because the people who live in Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, right? Southern states, they go down more south to Florida for their summer vacations for July mm -hmm. 1st for Thanksgiving. It's just like, whoa, I, I didn't know that. So it's a great place all year long. Rather than like an Aspen, Colorado, if I had to assume, is probably only really good in the winter months. In the summer months, nobody's going to Aspen, Colorado. Florida's not like that. It's all year, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious on the Airbnb side, because you had that one that you bought in March, which I'm assuming was actually, you know, before we even get into that, are you burring in the US or is it kind of more so yeah. buy and holds, take it straight to Airbnb? Yeah. So we're burring like these partnerships that we're going to do, we will be burring. Not like we've seen for the past couple of years where you can burr a property right after you renovate it. We're probably not going to see that for a long time, I think. But the burr a year after, two years after, yeah, that's definitely the model we're doing. And same with the Naples house. Funny enough, like we bought that house in Naples at the top of the market in March. We did a pretty sizable renovation and the prices in Naples, specifically Naples, Florida, have actually gone up. There has been no drawdown, which is amazing. Why? The reason why we picked it is because Naples is the richest city in all of America per capita, which is insane. Mm. This is all rich people. <laughs> so that, that's the reason why we wanted to move there as well, mostly to play it as like a Bitcoin or gold play, a store of value, right? I want to put my money in a store of value, inflation proof. The price are going up. Our home is worth like 400 grand more than what we bought it for in March. And we have solid comps to back that up. So like, it's crazy. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Since you've bought that property, like how many months have you been on Airbnb? What do the numbers look like in Florida? And then true, like is the market a little bit saturated in Florida, right? Because I know a lot of people move yeah. there to have Airbnbs. Do you feel like it's saturated? Just what's the Airbnb experience been? Yeah, there's definitely, you would think so. And I still think so. It's oversaturated. I mean, every Canadian, every investor in Canada who's got more than two properties is like, that's it. I'm going to Florida. I'm going mm. South Florida specifically. So you're like, man, how many people can invest in Florida? But I think it's the same model where it's so big, so much more populated, but also a lot of people say, I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to go invest. And as we know, 90% of people don't do what they say they're going to do. Number one. Number two, they probably only buy one property or like two, maybe. 
Whereas we're doing this as a, you know, more of like a business model. We're going to buy 10, 20, 30, 100. So there's mm-hmm. not many of those people doing that. So there's tons of business, I think, for that and for those who are going to do it right. And also all the people that are saying, I'm going to go to Florida, I'm going to go to Florida. Again, they're buying properties. They're not renovating them nice at all. They're doing like the cheapest Home Depot rental they can possibly do. We're going on there. We're treating this like an HGTV magazine. That's the way we're treating our renovations and always have, but even more so for short-term rentals. So we're just blowing all, all these guys out of the water anyway. So all the people can come to Florida all they want. I love competition. I get very aggressive with competitions. Don't worry. I'll just beat you anyway, right? So <laughs> so let's talk about some of the systems it takes to start operating in Florida. One of the big things is if you're going to be executing the Burr model, deal flow is a big one, right? And given yeah. that we're not native to the state, we're definitely a leg behind when it comes to knowing the right people and, and networking. Just off the top of my head, maybe a limiting belief. Like, How are you getting around to secure deals? And I guess we can also talk about outside of deal flow, like finding the right construction team, the property manager, like how are you having full faith in these people being not really local around the area and might not knowing the right people in general when you were first looking around in Florida? Yeah. So it's letting go of control. That's number one. So that might be a limiting belief, but because I have, you know, we have 13 employees in our business now, just for the Canada stuff. I think I've gotten used to like giving up control and letting people take over and me just being totally out of the picture. One thing I will say quickly, because we talked about, I think you mentioned before, how do you get good employees and all this risk? One thing I will say is building a brand on YouTube or social media is like number one, to get quality employees. Because while you still want to look at resumes and screen people, I, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, when I have a job opening and I, and I need a new manager for acquisitions, I post on Instagram or I need a project manager. And I hired all my employees, by the way, through Instagram stories. So I just post something. And when I, people are like, oh my God, I want to work for Matt. Like, are you kidding me? And I get just flooded and I can screen from there. Like, so that's number one, I would say of how to attract good people, have a good and sizable, if you can work on it, uh, sizable influence on social media. You'll get people just dying to work with you and the top quality people. That's number one. So that's how we've attracted so many good people. And I did the exact same with Florida. So the way I found my realtor, the way I found my contractors was pretty much the same way. It's like, hey, I'm looking to invest in Florida. I'm going down here. Who knows someone? Who knows someone? And someone would say, oh, my uncle is the contractor, like whatever, right? So I just got pieced together with my following and we've already built the whole Florida team. Now, when we go down this winter, the next phase of our business is dialing in the wholesale business and the flip business down there. So this whole winter, I'll be working on doing the same thing I'm doing here, acquisition manager, project manager, all this. I'm going to be doing the exact same thing down there, building that out, building the wholesale website, getting my own leads all in-house. I'm doing that whole thing this whole winter again. So because I've already done it before, it's the same model, right? So first things first, I think it all comes to social media branding, and then you just attract the right people into your business. You know what? You bought in a very interesting point. And I think that's the same thing with myself and the wholesaling business as well. When we posted for job opportunities, we definitely threw it on Indeed, but we ended up hiring someone within our network because generally speaking, if they're following us, watching our content, and they're actually doing some of the things that we talk about, we already know that they're committed. And they are somewhat like interested in, in the investing world. So they're going to be a prime candidate. Yeah. I'm just curious. So Matt, you've built out multiple businesses. You have quite a bit of experience, different employees. I'm curious what a day in life is, right? Like, like yeah, what yeah. do you do? What do you yourself actually do in your business? Are you the one talking to joint venture partners? Are you the one that's finding deals in Florida now, for example? Right. And like, how has that evolved? I guess. Yeah. So I'll go over what I do, which is making videos. That's my number one job right now just kind of overseeing all the employees, mainly my project manager who oversees all the other people. Mm. So I just kind of check in with her once a week, see what's going on. Um, What else do I do? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, YouTube videos. Um, I I am looking at the Florida deals now just to like kind of teach my realtor slash teach myself a bit more. But again, like I said, this winter, that'll all be not me anymore. Um, Yeah, that's kind of all I do now. So one thing I remember what I was going to say comment wise uh, that I that I picked up when you're talking about like going about how you're operating your business in Florida, I guess for a lot of people, when you think about it, it's like, all right, like I'm going to go to another market. It's like there's a million things to do. Kind of how I'm seeing that you're approaching is you're doing one thing at a time. You're not letting everything overwhelm you have a full blown wholesaling company there yet, but you're getting the fundamentals there, building yeah. your teams first for the first few months actually going down there and doing market research. So it's not like an overnight decision. Yeah, You've been, by the time from when you first were interested in Florida to when you have the full flip team 
executed and you have all your burrs and so on and so forth. That's like a year long process, right? Yeah. I guess a lot of people just, they want overnight success. They want to have that like in two to three months, which is not, not feasible. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. So very interesting that you mentioned that. <laughs> All right. So since Austin interrupted my question, I'm just going to go back to the day in the life, right? So, so yeah, yeah. Your, your end goal, your end result seems super cool, right? Like you spend your time making the YouTube videos, which I'm sure you enjoy, and you're working yeah. on the US expansion kind of business, right? Just given that's, that's a core new business that you're growing out now. But along the way, what were some of the pain points that we can anticipate, right? Because like for me, for example, yeah. with JVs, like bookkeeping, never thought it'd be such a big pain point. Biggest yeah. in my life. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, I'm sure there's a lot more similar things like that as you're going out multiple businesses. I'm just curious, like what some of those were. Yeah. So the pain point would be like hiring kind of the wrong people. So at the beginning, especially the acquisition manager's position, that was the main one that I hired wrong because I just wanted to hire kind of a friend. I just spent too much time teaching him how to wholesale. Even me, I'm not the best wholesale in the world. Like I'm too aggressive in this in a sense of like when I meet with a seller and they're like, oh, I want to sell this house. And when I say, cool, let's buy. And they're like, oh, can I think about it for a day or two? It's like, what's wrong with you, right? I'm too like, come on, let's just do the deal. Whereas my acquisition manager now, he's like a wizard, man. Like my meetings with sellers would be 15 minutes max. And I'd be out the door. I've done my pitch. I, I saw the house. I'm out. When my guy goes there, he's there for two hours per meeting. I don't know what the hell he's talking about for two hours, but he's there building rapport. I don't know what he's doing. But he's a wizard because he gets a deal. So it's hiring the right people and let it, hiring true experts. So at the, at the beginning, I just, like I said, I hired the first guy that was like, I'll do it, man. Like I follow you on, on Instagram. I'll be the best worker ever. I'll do it. I was like, all right, let's do it. So, but now I'm more like, what's your experience? Have you actually done what I want you to do? Are you a top performer? And then hiring those people. So that's the one thing I would say, but that's pretty much the only pain point I've ever had. It was just that one position. It was just the wrong match, the wrong fit. Now I'm more like business, like, hey, man, like, are you actually going to do this job? Are you going to crush? I hope mm. you know this is a commission job, right? And the acquisition manager is the most important position in the whole business. That's why I tell my team. And that's why I tell everybody, like, if he's not locking up deals, nobody's eating. His position is the most important because it feeds the project manager. It feeds the social media manager to do content and sell the property. It feeds me to sell that property and make money, right? So if he's not converting... And locking up deals, nobody's doing anything. So that position specifically is super important and you need a rock star for that. So mm -hmm. it's just looking for high quality people and trusting and letting them do what they do best rather than me trying to be like, this is the script I saw online and you should say this, right? It's just letting them be rock stars. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think with a lot of CEOs, it's an ego thing as well, right? Like if someone comes in and they're better than you and are yeah, yeah, like yeah, giving yeah. you ideas, like, oh, why are you doing this? Maybe like whatever, yeah. whatever. That's like, you get an ego hit. It's like, oh, like this person, like, let's get rid of them, right? They don't yeah. know what they're doing. They're too cocky, but it's not even about being too cocky. It's like putting your ego aside as a CEO and seeing like, okay, like obviously this person knows their stuff much more than I do. So yeah. let me take a few pointers from them. What I was going to say on the Airbnb side of things is, is more of a macro sort of thing. I posted this in my story. So some of the followers might've saw this. This yeah. is more Canadian specific, but I want to hear your thoughts on it as well. But we've been seeing on the data on the AirDNA side, which I know admittedly isn't the best data source, but yeah. publicly available, that's Close pretty much have, what yeah. we have. Yeah, yeah, it's like the best thing that we have. There are some cities out there, again, like this is all going to be city, city specific. Yeah, yeah. Where we're seeing like listings just shoot up. I would imagine Florida would actually be one of them where a lot of people just want to jump on the Airbnb train. And as a result of that, more competition, usually demand depends on where it is demand might not keep up with the amount of like supply of people listening yeah, yeah. on now what do you do to kind of combat that with your particular airbnb or is that something that's yeah that's crossed your mind yes yeah, so i saw your post i saw the data so yeah it's freaking people out for sure we're not feeling that at all i have two gut feelings again of why this happened number one is in florida it's a true vacation spot so i think like airbnbs in like boston massachusetts or something like that yeah they're probably gonna get slow like in the middle of the city, Kitchener, Waterloo, random Airbnbs, right? I can see those slowing down for sure. But vacation areas, like people are going down there 95% to vacate, not just to go and see a concert or meet with family members like you might see in Kitchener, Waterloo for those kind of people. They're going out for vacation. So that's number one. Number two, like you said, the more competition, this is going to make more people list their houses because maybe they're going to have financial pain now with interest rate rising or a job loss. So they might rent their house on Airbnb. The one thing I'll tell you, the, and the reason why we went so hard on Florida Airbnbs, because like I said, we spent the three months touring 
I think we stayed in like, I don't know, five, seven, 10 Airbnbs throughout that whole time. Dude, they all suck. Like the amount of Airbnbs level in America, but specifically Florida was the worst. Like they're not true investors down there. Surprisingly, there's not too many of them. 90% of the Airbnbs are just like 1980s grandma's house and they're just throwing it on Airbnb. Like they suck. So the way we combat this potential, you know, dip in people vacating down to Florida or whatever, is just have a better quality house than everybody else. That's what I've done my whole life. That's what I've said is just have a high quality property. Our property is renovated very, very well for the budget it's in. It's like a literal luxe house and it's fully rented. So that's one thing I think you mentioned a while ago is, is the house rented. So we've only had this property on Airbnb for, I think a month, month and a half since we've done the renovation. The whole winter is already booked, all of it at top prices for this price range. So in the month of December, we're getting $980 USD at night. The whole month's booked. All of November. How booked. much is the house worth? Uh, 1.4 or yeah, 1.4 million right now. That's yeah. pretty fucking 1415. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. So almost a thousand USD a night for the winter high months, obviously, right? Fully booked. Why? Mm-hmm. It looks amazing. The pool's dope. The backyard's sick. Like it looks, it's crazy, right? So there's always going to be people for that. And, and that's the one thing I'll say as well is our Airbnb strategy is slightly geared to more upper middle class, potentially rich people. I want us going down to, you know, I'm attracted to people like us to go down to Florida. So that's my clientele specifically is not just uh, families, it's upper middle class, rich families specifically. So I'm renovating properties really, really well. What do we know about rich people? They always have money. They're smart with their money, recession, interest rates. I don't care. They still want to vacate Florida and they're going to. So I'm providing them a sweet house for them, right? So that's my strategy. And that's, I'm not worried about that at all. In fact, I love what's happening. I love that the data is showing people are freaked out. Why? More investors are going to be like, oh, screw that. Mm. I'm not going to do this anymore. Great. More for me, right? Like that's yeah. my whole mindset about all of this. Interest rates rising. Perfect, man. More for mm-hmm. me. More opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So people just have to be prepared out there. One thing that you mentioned is looking at seven to 10 Airbnbs and actually staying there. How many people actually do that? Yeah. Not many. I wouldn't want to do that. But yeah. like it's part of the due diligence process part to figure it, yeah. out like what's my competition. These guys have a hundred reviews and their Airbnb shit blow them out the water, 100%. right? By just like That's adding it. some more things to it. Yep. So yeah, no, I think that definitely makes a lot of sense. Maya, did you have anything else on your end? No, no, I, before we wrap up, the one thing I just want to quickly point out is that I think you're taking action, anticipating the time when everyone else is going to start taking action, right? Which is, I think something that's not widely talked about enough. It's just like, everyone's yeah. like, oh yeah, like next March is going to be like a sick buying opportunity, right? So it's like, okay, cool. Why don't you buy now and be ready? Exactly. That, right? So that's great, Matt. Usually at this point in the podcast, we like to ask your guests two questions. So the first is, how do you see your business evolving over the next like five years? Yeah. So the plan is more scaling. So just growing out the flip business in Canada, growing out possibly the more buy long-term rentals in Canada, doing the Airbnbs in Florida. That's, that's kind of our main focus right now, growing that out with partners. And then kind of step 100 in this plan. No, this, the next step is starting a private fund in the US. So all I'm focused on right now, honestly, is growing the social media, growing the YouTube channel for the purpose of starting a fund in the US and buying long-term rentals down in the lower states, Georgia, Texas, specifically, Florida, possibly. Just good old-fashioned single-family long-term properties under the median average sale price, you know, buying properties at 300 grand. Can you believe that? 300, like it's crazy, right? <laughs> 250? There's tons of those deals in Georgia and Texas. So I want to buy long-term properties with a fund because the partners are too slow in a sense. And even right now, specifically, I'll be honest, if you're watching this and you're one of my partners, a lot of them are still scared right now. A lot of them are like, Matt, I hear you, man. I, I, I watch all your teachings. I get it, but I'm still too scared. So I'm starting to having to smack a couple of them. But the reason why I want to do the fund is that I'm in control. I can just raise the money. I can buy the properties I want in Georgia. We can just go faster with a single family portfolio. So that's kind of the next focus for me in the next five years is really starting that private equity fund. I have no idea how to, how to start it. I don't know yet, but I'll figure it out. So we're going to mm-hmm. do that. Raise the money, start buying hundreds of houses down in the US. And that's kind of my long-term plan for the next five, 10 years. That's super cool. This private equity fund stuff is, is stuff I've been hearing more and more from different people. I can't remember. Yeah. Course, but either way, so, so for newer or in, uh, intermediate investors, call it like a five to 10 portfolio type investors, what kind of advice do you have to share with them? Or like what kind of risk do you see in the market for them or anything that you just want to say to them? Yeah. So the first thing I say, and what I always say is just specialize. The only way you're not going to get your ass burned is if you specialize, know the area, pick one, don't go everywhere. Like I am right now, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years. You're probably seeing the tip of the iceberg. You're like, Oh, I just saw Matt on YouTube two months ago. Yeah. Well, you haven't seen it the 12 years, man. 
So like now it's all easy for me. I think Austin was saying like, how do you renovate so many deals or the fear of renovating in Florida? It's different. You know, we've done over 120 deals over flips and long-term rentals. Like when you do a hundred deals plus, they're all the same, man. Like it's easy. I can go to any city and do this. Right. But I've specialized. I stayed in one area. I dialed in, I learned the system. And now I'm only now 12 years later, now I'm going to Florida. Now I'm talking about equity funds. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, just tip of the iceberg, a lot of people see. So it's the hard work and the dedication of specializing, knowing your craft. And now, you know, I can renovate houses all over North America. No problem. They're all the same, right? Now. Yeah, that's the big thing, right? People try to jump too far too quick and they en- end up uh, spraining their ankle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've been seeing a lot of people uh, now who have taken massive action, but was it arguably intelligent yes. massive action getting into some trouble? Yeah. Right. Because of change conditions. But exactly what you were saying, you specialize, you put in the hard work. And then now there's always going to be an element of risk, but you can always afford the risk once you built your fortress. Right. Then you can start taking yeah. these kind of leaps. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I will say right off that because it just came to my mind. So I think a lot of you are, you were saying, how do you scale so quickly? How do you take the risk? Well, it makes it really easy or easier when I started doing this because it was uncomfortable hiring people, spending money on market, maybe any return. The way I did it a little easier is that I had a sizable net worth from the hard work for the past 10 years. And only I only started this flip business and all this craziness two years ago. So I did all of this building, building for a decade. I sold some properties, got a lot of money. And then what I did, which what I really like is I do a lot of private lending. So my private lending, the passive income pays, by the way, for the entire business and more. All the marketing, all the employees, my life. My life going down to Florida, my personal expenses, all covered from private lending alone. So, you know, if some months we're spending 10, 20 grand on marketing and we get nothing, it hurts, trust me. <laughs> but it's not going to put me out. It's not going to bank from me. Oh, well, well, we'll get them next month, right? So I have this like calming effect of like, eh, you know, the private lending paid for the whole business. All you guys got paid for. Don't worry about like, we're not even dipping into my personal savings or net worth yet. Don't worry about it. All of that paid for everything. So I can take risks. I can jump faster. Like that's why we're expanding to Florida so fast. I think is that we have this cushion every month that covers the entire thing. So that's one thing I'd really recommend is just focus, grind, build out. And what I always say on my YouTube channel is don't start flipping. Certainly not like a full-time flipper until you have at least a million dollar net worth of real cash net worth. When you have a million dollar net worth, that means one, you've probably done more than 10, 20 deals in order to get that million dollar net worth. So you've gone through 20 renovations, you've hired 20 contractors, four of them have screwed you, right? You, you've had JV partners, like you know the system now. So now when you become a full-time flipper like me, because you're watching me on YouTube and be like, I want to be like that, I want to flip houses, right? Now at this point, it's safer and it's easier because you have so much skin in the game and experience, but you probably also, if you do private lending, have just that cushion of knowing like, if I don't get a deal for a month or two or if something doesn't work out right, no big deal. I have that sizable net worth all that money coming in every single month. No problem. I'll just plug one of Matt's courses here. When I first wanted <laughs> to get started doing uh, private lending, I actually bought Matt's course for like 400 bucks or something like that on private lending. Dope ass course. Talked about nice, a lot of it. And I still use your templates today, Matt. So nice. Perfect. I don't even there know that, go. but I use it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Sweet. Awesome. Cool. Matt, really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on everything and being super transparent about your business, your thoughts on the market, what you're up to. You're always up to some amazing things. You're always growing and expanding your business. So it's always awesome to catch up and again, like follow your journey along the way. If people want to stay in touch with you, connect with you, JV with you, or just yeah. follow alongside your journey as well, how could they best get in contact with you? Yeah, best place is on YouTube. Type in the Fruitful Investor. You'll find me. And on Instagram, Fruitful Investor, Matt Pichet. You'll find me there too. Awesome. Thank you for all you do for the real estate community. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, share with a friend, do whatever you can to support this podcast. Uh, help bring great guests like Matt Bichet out to the show. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.